So, Sue, you get a lot of emails. Yes, I do. As do I. Yes. And it's a pretty efficient method of communicating if you check all your emails. I don't always check my spam folder. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, because that's often where the good ones go. And I think often... All my emails to you go to spam. I think you've got a special setting there I just got a to get special rid of filter. me. <laughs> One of the things that's coming up under the upcoming review of Stradalaw in New South Wales is a suggestion that we don't have to give everybody our email addresses in our scheme. So we'll be talking about that, and we'll be having a listen to my latest stint on the James Valentine Show. I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. So what is it about emails and the Strata Review? All right. So at the moment, um, everywhere in Australia, just about, owners are entitled to see all records of their Strata schemes. In New South Wales, those records must, according to the law, include an email address if you have one. A lot of strata managers, you go in and say, can I get everyone's email addresses? They say no. Mm. because Freedom it's of information and things. Privacy, which is nonsense, actually. There are no privacy laws, really, that cover strata. It's just because the majority of owners, they say, and I think they're probably correct in saying this, would rather that their email addresses weren't out there. Now, a lot of strata committees are quite happy to support that view because not everybody, but a lot of them, don't want strata owners talking to each other. Oh, right, so they don't want other strata owners to have each other's emails. Yeah. They have the emails, and they're entitled to the emails, but they don't want everybody else having them. And they can send out all their propaganda or their newsletters or whatever you want. So they'll say, so you get one side of the story oh, coming so out. So they'll BCC everybody, so we can't see. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, occasionally, until about once every six to nine months, somebody forgets to BCC, and we all get everybody's email addresses mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> and then we get a, an email saying you must not use these email under privacy laws, which is nonsense. But they'll tell you that you mustn't use them. But uh, any sensible person who's active in strata would tuck them away somewhere and think there will come a day when I might want to use these. (laughs) Mm. The one view is people don't want to be harassed by the Mr. Angries and Mrs. Angries and Ms. Angries of strata, Mm. sending them email after email after email. And trust me, I know that only too well because I get those emails also Mm. from all sorts of people. But a lot of people are saying, I don't want that stuff arriving in my inbox. Mm. So don't give out my email address. The people who do want to be able to use emails are the people who are trying to change things in their strata scheme. Now, they could be the nutters and the permanent constant complainers, or they could be people who are saying, look, there's something going on here. You other owners really need to know about this, but nobody's telling you about it. That's even more important during COVID, isn't it? When Well, yeah, when we're not not, even getting the lift with people. Mm. But, you know, it's been this has been around for ages. And we know, having run a campaign uh, in a building where we had a useless building manager, a corrupt committee, a very dodgy chairperson, and the only way to get the message out was to email people. And it was very effective. 
and and it got rid of it just we were able to clear things out and and stop a lot of the problems in the building overnight if we hadn't been able to use emails although we were also using phone calls mm-hmm. and personal messages and this was before emails were as ubiquitous as they are now and you've got things like whatsapp and things like that which are also in there but uh, there are some people just are horrified at the idea that everybody else in their their strata scheme should have access to their email addresses so what do you think should happen should people have access to emails or should they not i think communication is the basis of community and it's really important for people to be able to communicate with each other at times when there are issues that need to be discussed that some people aren't even getting told about or they're only getting one side of the story. Again, if your committee is up to something and they are the ones controlling the means of communication, it's like living in an autocratic state, you know, where they control the newspapers. Yeah, or Russia, you know, Pravda is is, uh, sending out the message and uh, and there is no alternative means of communication. So I think what should happen is that strata committees or owners corporations can make a choice. They can say, okay, we don't want everybody to have everybody's emails because there is a nuisance factor there. And let's not kid ourselves, it does happen. But we will set up an alternative form of communication, something like a a bulletin board that anybody can write to and say, I am, you know, Jimmy Thompson, I live in this apartment, and I've posted a message for everyone to read on the bulletin board. Now, you would get an email from the bulletin board saying, Jimmy Thompson has posted a message and this is the headline on the message. Mm. And then it's up to you. You want to, If you want to go and mm. read that, it's yep, up to that's you. That's a good compromise, isn't it, really? Yeah, but it takes the community to make that decision that they want to be in communication. And that's the problem, that uh, in a lot of communities, they don't want people to know what's going on. In some communities, you know, it's they don't want to have the argument. You've got somebody who's in there who goes, I've done the research, I've asked the questions, I know what's going on, why do I have to explain it to people every time somebody sends me an email? Well, the reason you have to explain it to people is because that's a job you've volunteered for. That's right. If you don't want to do that job, we'll step aside and let somebody else do it. Yeah, just ask Daniel Andrews. He's having to stand up and explain himself at every opportunity, at every press conference, every single day, and yet he continues to do so. He yeah. never says, look, I'm, you know, it's no, he's self-evident, paid, really. He's getting paid a lot of money to do that. Yeah, but it's still you pretty hard, You think it's not enough. It? <laughs> you, no, well, you kind of think he's got other things as well, that he, before having to say the same things over and over again every mm. day. I do feel for him. You know, the, the, the email thing, I've, n- I've never been entirely convinced by... The people saying, I don't want to get nuisance emails. Because mm. I, I haven't come across an email platform yet that doesn't allow you to block email addresses. That's right. Because if you received an email from somebody you felt was just a time waster, you might reply to them and then you might say to them, I'm going to block you in future. So you can I easily do that block a lot. them. Mm. I do that. You've an done awful that to lot. my emails, Jimmy. I so, do that. I've done that to certain people on certain committees and just said, just don't bother emailing me anymore. Mm. And they get a polite message saying your email address has been blocked. Mm. And I, whether or not they're sending me, if they were to come to me and say, oh, I had this really good news for you, but you blocked me, I'll go, well, you know, there's still postal service. <laughs> you know, always slip a note <laughs> under my door. <laughs> but, mm. yeah, so I think it's it's something, I don't think it'll fly. 
I think it's more likely to go the other way. But the sensible solution would be to say to strata committees, you have to have a way so that everybody in the building or everybody who's an owner in the scheme has an opportunity to communicate with every other owner. Whether that's email or not is entirely up to you, but you've got to provide something. And there's plenty of platforms like Stratabox, one of our sponsors, Mm. they do that. Mm-hmm. And, you, and it would just be a case of somebody writing something saying, is anybody else worried about the fact that we are about to pay X hundred thousand dollars for this? If so, contact me, you know, that kind of thing. It's a great way to keep owners engaged, really, isn't it? Mm. But then you can also filter out the nutter factor, mm. you know, the, the person who just can't let anything go. Mm. All right. After this uh, we're going to be logging into my session on the James Valentin show. Great, look forward to that. That's, I'm disappointed that you haven't listened to it already. <laughs> well, last week I was invited on to James Valentine's Afternoons, where I go oh, roughly about once a month. Um, and we had a good chat, answered a few questions, and he very kindly ran a clip from Hyperbole Towers, our podcom, which at the time of talking has been listened to by 460 people. That's not bad, is it? It's very good, actually. People think, people say, oh, we get 10,000 listeners to our podcom. You go, yeah, that's 10,000 listeners over the past year. This is 460 listeners over the past two weeks. That's pretty good, Mm. I think. So uh, he ran a little clip of that, and just to let you know, the sound quality, unusually, usually when we have guests on the show, their sound quality is really bad and ours is okay. Well, this time it's the other way around because he's got a big radio station and (laughs) I was on the phone. So that's coming up now. Well, hello there. Very good to be with you here this afternoon. Jimmy Thompson is from flat-chat.com.au, and he's also the now a maker of a fine comedic podcast. Mr. Thompson, hello. Good afternoon, James. How are you? I'm very, very well. Tell us about Hyperbole Towers. Hyperbole Towers. Well, it's um, <laughs> we started off with the idea of, of people not being able to have meetings in strata schemes, and then um, we evolved that into uh, a fictional strata scheme where they accidentally passed a, a bylaw saying that they must have their meetings online. And if you can imagine all the disparate characters that there are in strata schemes, it's, uh, it gets a bit fractious. Right. Now, this is the, the city of Sydney wanted to make this. Is that right? Uh, well, they, I, um, they had some grants flying around for creative people uh, who were stuck at home. And uh, I had had this idea, not specifically the the uh, the online thing, but the idea of a, a sitcom set in a strata scheme. And I floated to them, would you like to give me a grant to help me to make this? And they said, yes, here, have some money, go and make it. So we did. Oh, very, very good. Well done. Bravo. Uh, opportunity seized. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was funny because... Uh, Somebody stopped me on the street and said, have you getting one of these City of Sydney creative grants? And, and I said, no, I haven't heard of this. And he said, oh, I've got one. And I said, but you are a massage therapist. And he said, yes, I massage dancers. I thought, well, if massage therapists are getting it, I think writers <laughs> and producers are entitled to it as well. And it turns out he didn't get his grant, but I got mine. Well done. <laughs> uh, well, let's have a little listen. Um, do, you want, do you want to set this up, as they say in the well, talk shows? Basically, the uh, situation is that 
they've got a commercial area and somebody wants to put a day spa in there and some of the residents are very suspicious of this but at the same time there's a very annoying tapping sound coming from uh, an apartment and they're also very suspicious about what's going on in there so the the uh, sec- the chair person goes to investigate Meanwhile, in another different part of Hyperbole Towers, on her way to investigate the tapping issue, Charlie has called Brooke. So, are you for or against the day spa? Against? It will cost us a fortune. My check would never be out of the place. Really? What with his knees? Of course. His knees. We need to find an alternative. I'll ask around the real estate agents. Uh, Look, hold the line. I'm at the unit above Steve's. Listen. I can hear it. Clear as day. Good. Glad I have a witness. No problem. Bye. No, no, wait. I meant a witness for when I knock on the door. What if they are drug dealers? Then we might scare them off. Or they might take your phone, trace your call, abduct us, torture us to death and bury our bodies in the foundations of a new high-rise. I don't think so. That's what happened with those buildings that are falling down. Too many bodies in the concrete. Hello in there! Oh my god, oh my god! Can you hear us? Oh, sorry, Charlie, you're breaking up. It'd be easier just to get Alfie to tell us who's living there, Brooke. Uh, Brooke? Ooh, drama. Cliffhanger. Um, what what, what could happen next? <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's like every apartment, isn't it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have our, our secretary, uh, that's her default get-out-of-jail-free card is, I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Yeah. <laughs> Very sensible. Uh, where Hyperbole Towers will find where? Um, on the Flat Chat website is probably the easiest place. I mean, it's out there uh, in, you know, on, on iTunes and things like that. And But uh, go to the flat-chat.com.au and look for the picture of Mr. Todd McKenney. And uh, oh. he's so, a guest. Guest star. Oh, very, very good. It's it's uh, it's 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 star packed. It's action packed. It's uh, full of laughs. It's uh, it's funny. It's funny. It's very, very good. Yeah. Well done, Jimmy. Fantastic. Well, let's take a few Thank questions. One three hundred triple two seven zero two, or you can text us on zero four six seven nine double two seven zero two. Hello there, John. G'day. How are you going? Um, good. Thank you. Um, so I've got a commercial strata unit uh, in Brookvale, uh, which I run my office out of. And right. there's a tree on the council-owned um, nature strip at the front, uh, and there's a driveway running down the side of all the strata units, little industrial strata units. Um, the tree's roots got into some um, stormwater strokes, you know, sewage lines in the driveway. Yep. Um, but and the strata um, committee spent has spent a vast amount of money digging the driveway up and re-concreting it and relaying it. I would have thought that if that damage was caused by a council tree, that the council probably should have been called in on this. Absolutely correct. That council property that's causing damage to strata property and the smart thing to do to have done would have been to have gone to the council in the first place and say, could you please come and fix a problem caused by your trees? I think going to them after the event, I don't know, it might be too late. Yeah, well, I think it is, but for whatever reason, I wasn't involved in the strata committee this year, and um, it was all seemed to have been rushed through and done without without sort of um, my knowing. But anyway, um, I just wanted to clarify that and make sure that I was on solid yeah. ground when I go. Is it, has, it tu- has it turned out to be a big expense, John? Uh, I 
haven't seen the bills yet. <laughs> <laughs> this was the same trader manager that had a ten thousand dollar water bill that went unnoticed until it was too late three uh, years ago, which caused me some angst. And anyway, um, we'll, we'll wait and see what we can uh, do to solve all this. Yeah, I, I think it might be time to sit down with your strata manager and and uh, have a quiet word about their. Uh, performance indicators. I mean, Jimmy, like that that sounds like the sort of thing, I mean, that is why you have a strata manager, isn't it? Because they know to do that. Yes. They know to go to council. They, they know, you know what, what the rules are. Yes, that is exactly why you would have a strata manager. But there are levels of, of strata managers um, and their competence and their knowledge and their experience. And some of them would be on that like a shot. And for other ones, it would be I'll, oh, I'll deal with this next week kind of thing and never get around to it. Yeah. What would your comeback be? Like, let's say that, you know, John's suddenly up for $10,000 or the whole thing was $50,000 or something to do all that, and Strata managers made, this has been a huge error. This is not their responsibility. Council should have paid for this. What is there much comeback? Well, I mean, you could try and, well, you could try and get the money from the council in the first place. You could try and get the money from the Strata Insurance, um, and they could try and get it from the council. Um, the, the most difficult thing to do would be to get it out of the strata manager for some form of negligence because most strata management contracts have ways of avoiding that yeah. kind of comeback. But it does sound, you were saying go and have a quiet word, but that sounds to me like that's, that's a level of ineptitude that I'd want to be looking for another strata manager. That, yeah, that's basically what I was saying. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, I just thought I'd say it more directly. <laughs> you're allowed to. You were being English about it. <laughs> oh, hey, careful. How dare you. Um, John, uh, what do you reckon? Uh, I think, uh, well, I've been agitating for to change anyway, that um, I'm going to be more involved this year cause, because of better circumstances. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think we've actually needed to change for some while. But um, mm. as I say, I wanted to make sure I was on solid ground when... Uh, in my summation of it. So. Yeah. John, uh, thanks Thanks for calling. I, I don't know whether you'd know, Jimmy, but I'm assuming that's the same if I'm in a house and the tree from the nature strip is owned by the council and that, that tree roots get into my plumbing. Is that the same thing? I would believe so. I mean, I think there are some arcane things that the council get leeway on, stuff that they do that might impinge or damage uh, your property. But I, I think in this case, it's, you know, if it's a council tree and... They, that tree has damaged your property, then the council has to fix it. This is a uh, flat chat with uh, Jimmy Thompson. We can take your questions on strata issues. one three hundred triple two seven zero two is the number, or 0467 if you'd like to text us. Hello there, Grant. Hi, James. Hi, Jimmy. How are you going? Good. What's the issue? I'm in a block of 30 units uh, and townhouses. Uh, over the past three or four years... They've tried to pass motions to get some works done, which urgently need done, like waterproofing and uh, painting and fixing up the odd bit of concrete cancer. And it, it absolutely needs to be done. Um, we finally passed all the motions a month ago, and we had 17 people out of 30 present, passed everything, and then now we're getting lots and lots of agitation, and five owners have come forward saying they're going to dispute it. What, um, how do you go forward? What, what can I do from here? Well, I mean, you're always going to get people, especially when it comes to spending money, who are going to dispute that they, they shouldn't have to do that. But, I mean, the law is quite clear that you have an obligation collectively to maintain and repair common property. And once it's been decided by a majority of people, 
that they do, that uh, they, you want to go ahead and spend the money, and you've either acquired them, you've got the money, or you've uh, borrowed the money to to do this, then really it's a case of these five people out of thirty, they don't even constitute twenty five percent that can stop bylaws. So I, I would be saying to them, come back to us with an outline of how you plan to prevent us from doing this, because we're basically just following the law. Is it the sort of, but I mean, aren't they in a position where, okay, we've put this up, it's gone through the committee, it's been voted on, it's done? Yeah, that's you know, pretty like, much it. I mean, you, you always get, I mean, if there's been some irregularity in the voting process, uh, somebody can come along and say, well, you know, the, there were people voting who shouldn't have voted or you counted the votes wrong. But even then, there's a time limit on when you can object to the decision that's been made. And then, and, you, and then you have to go through the tribunal. You have to go through MCAT. You can't just stop work, stop everything from happening because you didn't bother to turn up at the meeting and then the result went against what you wanted. Yeah, because you, you lost the vote. Grant, how's that sound? Perfect, actually. The 25% is what I was after because I, I just wanted that clarified, actually. So they'd need 25% of owners or units and what they could take us to a tribunal. But my understanding is also that if they get this passed somehow and stopped it, they can be personally liable if there is a problem with waterproofing and damage. And that's, Is that correct? No, I think you're probably stretching a wee bit on the latter part of that. And, and in fact, what they all they can do at the moment is uh, get the numbers, which is 25%, to, to, to demand that there's another meeting at which all the owners get the opportunity to rescind the decision that they've made. But you would have to, they would have to go through that process of getting the signatures, approaching the strata manager or the secretary and saying, we've got the signatures, 25% of owners, of all owners, want to have this meeting. But even when the meeting is held, it's got to be a majority of people at the meeting. Um, that that you go by, so you know. So, yeah, majority majority of that meeting would need to vote against the works. Yeah, they'd have to change their mind. Right. And right. And, uh, and if bylaws have been passed legitimately and registered, it would mean it would have to be seventy five percent of owners would have to vote to rescind the bylaw. Yeah. So you know they're, they're whistling in the dark here. Grant, good luck with that. R- Fantastic. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no worries, though. Happy customer there. That's always good to hear. Um, now, I'm glad we've ended up trees getting into into uh, pipes and sewerage pipes and all the rest of it because, I'm look, I had a vague sense that this was going to be not a clear-cut area. Wayne, you're a plumber? Yeah. How are you, James? Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, good, good. Uh, tell us about the joy of tree roots in pipes where the tree is out on the street. Yes, it's... Um in the old days, the council used to come out and take photos of the tree getting into the pipe. So when you dug up the tree, the tree roots, you'd open it up and you'd take photos and the council would come out for that process to prove which tree was actually getting into the pipe. But now it seems that the council won't cover old terracotta pipes. So if you've got old terracotta pipes, there's no coverage at all from council oh. for their trees getting into old terracotta pipes. And what's the so, reason What's the reason, reason behind that? Well, may, I'm not 100% sure. Does council have to have particularly good reasons? I'm not sure. Right. Um, if you're in, say, if you're in Balmain, Marrickville, Newtown, your pipes are really old. Like, they can be, you know, 70, 80 years old. Yeah. 
and they won't cover that sort of thing. Where if you're in a new area, um, say out in the west, and you've got all PVC pipes, I think you'll be covered. But you have to go to your council, and each individual council seems to have a different set of guidelines. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose there's, I, I can presume there might be a view from council that says, if you've got those old pipes, it's time to replace them. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a cut and dry. Uh, answer to those questions, I would say go to the council and see what each individual council will cover before uh, you go any further. Wayne, uh, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, had you heard of that? Um, I, I had a vague inkling that there was some uh, get-out clause for councils. Um, it didn't occur to me that this uh, industrial area that it sounds like was was a, a very old building. Right. Um, but... But yeah, that sounds familiar. And I think that the reason the councils do it is that everything has a, a lifespan and old terracotta pipes are probably past their use-by date anyway. And they're probably taking advantage of that to say, well, we're not going to pay, even though our tree has exacerbated the problem, the, the pipes would have broken anyway at some point. Yep. Thanks for that, uh, Wayne. Thanks for providing the advice. This is Flat Chat with Jimmy Thompson, Strata Issues Considered. Hello there, Robin. Yeah, Hi. What's the, what's um, the issue? Just, yeah, we've got uh, a, an investment unit, but luckily at the moment um, my daughter's living in because we can't keep tenants there because mm. the mould is so bad. Um, and we finally, we, we lost two lots of tenants saying talking about the mould and we just thought it was because they weren't opening the doors or ventilating properly. And then my daughter moved in and we realised, no, it is actually a problem. And we finally tried to do something about it. But because it, it, it's basically, it's not rising damp, so Strata have said that it's all our responsibility. So we're paying to put a proper ventilation fan in the bathroom. We had the anti-mould people in to kill the mould that's there and they supplied a dehumidifier, which she basically has to run 24-7. Right. So how many floors? What floors are on? It's on the ground floor. It's on the ground and floor. Got, and how big's the block? It, it's just a, it's a unit. No, no, how, but how many other units? How big's the... Oh, in our little bit there would be, there's six. It's six, so it's a six-unit yeah. block sort of thing. Yep, um, two, two, two. Yep, so not on the ground. Old? Uh, yeah, it'd be, well, not really old, maybe 30 years, 40 years 30 old. 30 years old. And when you first got it, did it have mould problems? Well, it had been very carefully cleaned. There were some <laughs> bits of mould that we found, and so we, we repainted with anti-mould, but there was a very old fellow living there, and we just thought, oh, maybe he just never cleaned. Yeah, um, yeah. We should have known better. Jimmy, what do you reckon? But, yeah, it's tricky, it's tricky in an older building because, um, you know, this is a problem, obviously, that's been there for a while. And it's it basically, if you can attribute the problem back to the owner's corporation and something that they've done or shouldn't have done or there's some inadequacy in the building and they're at fault, then you can get them to do all the things that need to be done to fix you know, like the ventilation is obviously the key to this. But mould is such a common, it's an incredibly common problem, even in modern buildings. And it's also very, very common for this, the owner's corporation to say, oh, it's your behaviour, you know, keeping your doors closed, etc., etc., doors and windows closed. That's what's causing the problem, so we're not going to help. And you really have to prove that it's because of some inadequacy in common property that's causing the problem to force them to pay for it to be fixed. And it may even be that the, the way of fixing it might 
actually be on common property, and it's not something you could do on your own anyway. Yeah, have, Robin, have you checked? Have you checked through the building to see if any anyone else has got problems? Uh, yeah, apparently they have, um, but it's just the way it was originally built. So I don't, according the mold anti mold company, they were hugely knowledgeable, and you know they're dealing with places all over Sydney that have this problem, and they said it's just the way places are being built. So there's no through flow of air, and there's no sun getting on it directly, and and apparently the whole thing about opening and closing doors. We all have back to front because when you open them, you let the mould in and then it doesn't go out. So actually you're supposed to... If there's oh. over 55%. So now my daughter has to check her weather app every morning and if the humidity is going to be over 55%, which is pretty much every day, she has to close everything and put the dehumidifier on. Right. And so there's no there's no structural in. fix for this because I was sort of getting to a kind of like, is there sort of damp coming down through the walls or something like that? But then no. No. The walls are completely dry. This company's amazing, and they, they damp-tested all the walls, yeah. and it, there's no, nothing. It's blowing in from outside, but it's not blowing through. Yeah. So, Gee, what, what, a, what a difficult situation, Jimmy. Well, I, I think, I mean, it, it, the mould experts can't come up with a, uh, an answer to what could be done to um, fix this. Then you're pretty much stuck with just dealing with it yourself in the best way you can. But otherwise, if there was a way of fixing it by changing the vents on common property and things like that, then I, I think you can you can always at least suggest to them, go to mediation and then possibly go to the tribunal and force the owner's corporation, which sounds like there's only five other apartments, you'd get them to chip in and fix it because it's uh, if it's a problem with common property, they should be fixing it. But that assumes that it can be fixed. Yeah, yeah, very hard. Robin, sorry we couldn't be more helpful, um, you know, and, and, but, uh, you know, all the best with that and uh, thanks so much for calling us. We've got a couple of minutes. Uh, Vanessa, just uh, just quickly, what's your issue? Oh, hi, James. Thanks. Hi, Jimmy. Um, I live in a, uh, two, it's two blocks and there's 15 apartments all together and we have three lovely grassy areas which nobody uses. I've got the only children in the block and I wanted to put like just an inflatable mat down for my 13-year-old to use just for exercise and tricks and they've said no. I've offered a to do a probationary period, to do waivers. They've told me, no, waivers don't stand up in court. Now, that's come from the Strata Committee itself. I'm wondering, out of the 15, is there a percentage, if I get them to say yes, that I can be given approval to use the common area? Right. What do you think, Jimmy? Well, it basically, in the first instance, if you can get half the owners or the people who own half of the unit entitlements for the building um, of the whole scheme to agree... Then, then it becomes a, a question. Probably, unless there's bylaws that say you cannot have, you know, play equipment in common areas, then uh, it's just a simple majority, just to permit you, subject to the waivers that you're going to ensure, and you're never going to claim against accidents and things like that. So just fifty percent, because fifty percent of them at least are good. So that's great. I will approach it from um from that side and see how I go. Thank you very much, because they so kind what, of shut what, me down and said, yep. Yeah, so what I was going to say is you want this to be at a general meeting. If it sounds as if the committee's against you, then there's there's probably little point in pursuing it with them. But either at your next AGM, if it's coming up soon, or 
you can get the signatures to call a general meeting specifically to discuss this and get all the proxies and all the votes there to vote in favour. And the committee has to do what the owners want rather than the other way around. Vanessa, all the best with that and uh, good luck. Thank you so much for calling us. Jimmy, thanks for your time today. Thank you, and thank you for letting me promote my little comedy. Not at all. Look at uh, flat-chat.com.au for lots of information on Strata, lots of threads on all these kind of issues that we discussed today, uh, but also for hyperbole towers, if you want to follow up on that and have a listen. So um, that's uh, Jimmy, and fantastic Jimmy. Thanks for your time. Very, very good. Yeah, I kind of got caught out there um, with the question about the pipes and the tree roots. Well, you can't be expected to know everything, can you, really? But it's interesting that a lot of councils will not... They, if you can prove that the tree roots are damaging pipes and the pipes are not the old clay pipes that are, you know, 80 or 90 years old, they have to be modern pipes before the council will accept responsibility. Mm. Otherwise, they'll say, well, you should have been looking after all your, your drain pipes. <laughs> not our problem. Who would have known that? Well, a, a plumber called up when he did. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, when we come back, our Hey Martha's for this week. That's after this. Okay, last week hasn't been great for people in Victoria. No. But Strata residents or owners got a couple of pieces of good news. Yeah? One of them was that the government there uh, has decided to extend the claims period for cladding. Oh, good. They've added another two years. So if you're making a claim against your developer for putting cladding, flammable cladding on your building, you've got another two years in which to legally claim for them to come and fix it. Excellent. Is that is New South Wales likely to jump on that bandwagon as well? No. Well, I'm saying mm. no. Um, maybe they will, but you know what they're like. They hate doing anything that somebody else has done. Mm. It's like, oh, Victoria had a good idea. Well, we can't possibly do that. <laughs> Shame. That's the only reason we got our anti-Airbnb laws in New South Wales was because Victoria was so pro-Airbnb, in my <laughs> humble opinion. So that's one piece of good news. So people who have been struggling to, to get some sort of claim against the developers for installing flammable cladding now have an extra two years in which to make that claim. That's if they can find the developer, if the developer hasn't disappeared in a mm. cloud of smoke and reappeared phoenixing as another entity. But, you know, it's a, a step forward. Another one has come kind of indirectly from Flatchat, uh, the forum, because we had this guy who's, who wrote to us and said, what's the rule on people doing renovations during the lockdown? Now, remember the lockdown in Victoria is pretty severe and has just been extended, basically. And the the rule in Victoria was you cannot do a renovation if there are people living in the house while the renovation is going on because of people coming in and out of the building. And this guy wrote to us and said, well, we are still have people living in our building. But this guy, who happens to be a builder, started his renovation 12 hours before the lockdown started and claims that means that he's he's okay, he's not affected mm. by this. And so there's been a lot of to and fro, and the guy's saying, who can I call? And he's been calling the COVID hotline, which is connects to the police, and everybody, as always happens in Strata, everybody goes, oh, sorry, tough, you know, we can't do anything about that. This week, the Department of Health and Social Services, I think it is, 
announced that building work in strata schemes can only continue if the whole building is empty. Wow. Because this guy is saying, look, we're being forced to stay home. We're being forced Mm. to work from home. Mm. And this clown has decided to start this major renovation. So we're trying to work from home and we've got the drilling and the banging and all that stuff. Yeah, so they're absolutely trapped. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't right, but nobody would listen to him. And he, he wrote to us and... Various people came on and said, call this, call this number, talk to this person. Mm. And finally, I don't know if we had any effect or not, but finally the government said, yeah, that's not right. You can mm. only do renovations in strata during lockdown if the whole building is empty. Wow. So, so that's it's a gonna win. Create, yeah, and that's going to create a bit of a precedent for other states, I would have thought. You know, if... If we, if we go, go back into, into lockdown. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So people may have to abandon their building projects for a while. Well, let's hope they don't do that when we're having our bathroom done. <laughs> well, let's just hope we don't go back into lockdown, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry, I should have been thinking about the rest of the community rather than just our personal <laughs> well-being. And what have you got this week? Oh, I was just watching Novak Djokovic on TV and thinking, how disgraceful, you know, what a petulant little kid hitting a ball out into the crowd or well, at, at the line. Well, he didn't hit it at the judge. No, he, but he hit he, it behind him. He wasn't yeah, even looking. But, I mean, that, how irresponsible was that? You know, if a kid did that playing football and kicked a ball at somebody, you know, in the crowd or something, you, you'd punish them for, for not accepting the loss with grace. Okay, Sue Williams, you played badminton at a very yes. high level. You played... Badminton internationally. Yes. Did you ever smash a racket? No. But I tell you what I used to do when I was really frustrated with myself or frustrated with the result, I would hit myself on the leg with my racket. Really? And sometimes I hit myself so hard it made my legs bleed. And I think that shows a real puerile, (laughs) (laughs) ridiculous temper right but at the same time the only person i was hurting was myself that's true and so i think that's acceptable but i really don't think it's acceptable to be hitting balls just madly towards the crowd or anywhere really so alex diminor got a penalty uh, against him for smashing his racket i hate seeing rackets smashed i mean what a waste I mean, those rackets are a lot of money and a lot of people will be very happy to have a nice racket like that. Mm. I hate that kind of willful destruction of property as well. But don't you think that you get to a point, I mean, you would know better than I, that you're so competitive and you're so fired up that you lose and and you let yourself down and you just, I mean, with you it was hitting yourself in the legs um, until they bled. Don't you think there's, it's a natural response to, to being angry at yourself? I think you should have the maturity to be able to absorb that anger and not show it in public. Hmm. Um, wait till you're outside and then just flagellate yourself. <laughs> With your racket. <laughs> Pass me well, that badminton racket. Sure I need something smash, longer and whippier. Making sure not to smash it, yes. But um, no, I think there's no excuse whatsoever for a temper tantrum like that. These kn- people are grown people. There's a lot of money at stake. They're professionals or they sh- should be professionals. No, I think there's no excuse whatsoever. Can you guess who the first person, the first tennis player ever to be disqualified for bad behaviour ever was? Um, Would it have been that guy who commentates on the Australian Open? John McEnroe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that was a lucky guess, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. You think about it back to the... the Mm. I mean, there was a a few other bad boys, uh, like Ilya Nastasi, 
And, uh, oh, he was so handsome, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he it's had a great drop shot. It's, it's, a great, it's interesting that Tim Henman, he came out after the Djokovic thing and said, because Djokovic, not only did he get disqualified, he just drove straight out, didn't go for the press conference at the end. And Henman said, you know, he really should have stayed, apologised. He apologised to the woman in the in the court. There's film of him yeah. going up and saying, are you okay? Are you, you know, but mm. he should have publicly apologised and yeah. owned what what he'd done. That's right. And and said to, you know, that this will never happen again and it was a stupid act and I'm very embarrassed and I'm ashamed. Mm. Rather than just putting it, I think, on his Instagram feed or something, didn't he? Yeah. Or on his Facebook. Pretty easy to do it in the privacy of your own home. You should be able to do it publicly. Tim Henman is a name from the past. Mm. Formerly Britain's number one. Come on, Tim. Come on, Tim. How many Grand Slams did he win in his entire entire career? None. Not a single one. And your point is? I don't think he's in a position to be telling Djokovic (laughs) how to behave. Well, maybe he is because he's faced many more disappointments in his career than Djokovic has. (laughs) Disappointment depends on expectation, I think. And there was always huge expectations from Britain for Tim Henman, really. Okay, well, here on the Flat Chat Wrap, we own our mistakes and we apologise to anyone if we've ever made any. Why are you pointing at me? (laughs) I don't think that's all that true, Jimmy. Well, I apologise if that's not true, and I own my error in having made that statement. Uh, We will be back talking to you again next week, I hope. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming in, Sue. Okay, pleasure, Jimmy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flat-chat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.